Welcome to Don't Box Me In, the show that features conversations with people from all walks of life, talking about their extraordinary experiences and inspirational messages. Now, here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome, welcome, welcome back to another week of Don't Box Me In. I am your host, Lana Reed. You know, I have always been so fortunate to sit down and talk with wonderful people on this show, people who share and teach by simply taking the time to talk about their lives and their efforts in this world. And today is another amazing hour of learning from another individual. My guest today is Sister Jenna, and she has traveled to over 80 countries to raise awareness of the self and the divine. Her wisdom, peace, and compassion for humanity are expressed through the variety of initiatives she spearheads for youth, women, governments, and communities. As director of the Meditation Museum in Silver Spring, Maryland, she has created a space for the public that is a safe haven for, for personal reflection and growth. I'm so honored that she has made time to sit down and chat with me today, and it is with pleasure that I welcome her to the show. Sister Jenna, welcome to Don't Box Me In. Well, I'm so glad I'm not boxed in today. <laughs> Hi. Hi. How are you doing today? I am good. You know, you go through many days where things are like, um, I wouldn't say that they're up and down, mm-hmm. but it's very interesting when you do bump into a box that just won't open. Huh. And you know, that brings me to the first question I want to ask, because a lot of times when um, people are listening to or trying to receive guidance from somebody who appears to be in the place that they aspire to be, they think they've always been there. So have you always been in a wonderful, harm- harmonious, peaceful place in life? Well, I guess you didn't see me yesterday. <laughs> Chaos, pure chaos, right? <laughs> um, well, look, in a nutshell, uh, my father's Indian, my mother's African, and I was brought up in the States, in the U.S. Mm-hmm. And um, so I used to see my mother coming home crying after going to the church because she was Roman Catholic. Mm-hmm. And my dad, who's Hindu, would be all happy with Krishna, just laughing mm-hmm. and having a ball. So mm-hmm. I kind of put, you know, like, wow, this whole concept of God or life is really perhaps an individual's experience. So I kind of put that aside. And what I was really interested in was building a career and making something of myself so that if I ever got married, I wouldn't be boxed in and I Mm -hmm. wouldn't have a voice and I couldn't have something to say. So I ended up with two nightclubs. It was a blast. I Mm -hmm. loved it back Uh in the days, I tell you. And it was on South Beach in Miami and another one in Key Biscayne. And my most important thing was what I was going to wear that night and walk into the cloud, you know, so everyone uh, would see that, you know, Jen has arrived. Yeah. But I think that my epiphany, 23 or so, when that happened, you kept, you know, you get a calling, you get visions, you get thoughts mm-hmm. about what you are perhaps about to walk into. So there's sometimes a struggle with the self. Mm-hmm. Like you're not sure if you're losing something, if you're not sure if it's the right direction, but yet... Whether you feel or know it's right or wrong, it's taking you, taking you. You know, I always like to tell people that if you really pay attention to the clues, you know, you will get the message that the path that you're walking on is the right one for you. And, you know, once you start to, you know, bump your head into the wall too many times, that's the sign or the signal that you're not doing what's naturally 
um, designed for you to do. And, um, you know, like you said, you know, I, uh, Jenna was waiting to, you know, walk into the club and, you know, she had to be seen and, you know, and I'm sure there were things going around in your life to say, you know, tap you on the shoulder and say, Jenna, maybe that's not where we want to be in life. You know, maybe, maybe you should move this direction, but sometimes we don't always pay attention to the little, the little subtleties. Well, I think that we're a little bit not aware of our inner thoughts. So we're pretty mm-hmm. gross. You know, we're into the human. We're into an acronym that I use all the time called ALGI. Mm-hmm. And it stands for A is for anger, mm-hmm. L is for lust, G is for mm-hmm. greed, A is for attachment, and E for, for ego. And when that's consuming my base of what I think is powerful, I'm completely disconnected from me. So I feel that we go through different stages. To be very frank, I was on the top of my game. Life was actually great. Mm-hmm. Nothing was wrong with me. Everything was was moving great. Um, you ever had those moments where you used to sit and watch those UNICEF commercials and you would mm-hmm. bawl your eyes out? <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> and you felt like you had to do more with life than just try to win more toys mm-hmm. and get more toys. And I was reaching that stage in my 20s. So I think... Whatever is the karmic story within the soul, Mm -hmm. I was reaching a point where the soul was saying, you know what, there's so much more to you right now if you just listen. And that happened in my 20s. So um, in your 20s, um, I'm assuming that it wasn't an instantaneous kind of a move or shift for you because, you know, you were in, uh, quote unquote, a more worldly environment to shift to giving back to this world. I mean, was it an easy transition yeah. or, or was it, uh, you know, stumble, pick up, you know, stumble, get up, yeah. stumble, get up? It was actually pretty instant because um, I think having the influence of my mother's choice of spirituality, which was of Raj Yoga meditation, keep in mind my mother was orphaned at seven. And okay. at that age she had to go um, identify her dead mother's body and that mm-hmm. was in parts. And it was funny because we were just at a retreat and we were in the car driving and she was actually remembering the stories that she had blocked out. Mm. And I can't begin to tell you how that identified to me because I think I'm coming from a legacy now of courage and pure mm. will and power because she's not supposed to be the woman that she is today. She's mm. not supposed to be somebody who inspires people to be better, you know? Mm. Yeah, she's not supposed to be. She's supposed to be somebody who really is supposed to be the worst type of person in the planet. Um, So something shifted. So that gave me a narrative, an insight rather, on my narrative. And I was able to value, you know, what I am and who I'm becoming. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I believe in listening. I believe in listening. It was instant because I saw her change. I saw her becoming a Rastafarian, you know, with the dreadlocks. Mm-hmm, yeah. I saw her doing the Muslim and she was doing her prayers. I saw her having gurus. I saw her doing her Roman Catholic. I saw her saying, Buddhism is not for me. Ain't no God there. And I uh-huh. saw her go through so many things. So after watching that, I think that gave me a window to see. Does that make sense? It gave me a window to see. So there's something planted in us based on what we see in our parents. doesn't mean sure. we become like our parents, but there's something being planted. So I went to India. I, w- I was having some visions. I was in Jamaica. Mm-hmm. I had a series of visions of God's light pulling me and the world pulling me back. And 
spent a month in India, came back, and a month later I was living this life full-fledged. I didn't, mm. hadn't turned back. Okay, awesome. So when you say living this life full-fledged, what does that mean for Sister Jenna? Full-fledged means I'm not going to nightclubs anymore. <laughs> <laughs> okay. It, you know, it, <laughs> it, mean, it meant um, I was getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning and uh, waking up in the morning at 4 o'clock in the morning to listen to my conscience. Back in the days, I was still up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Just coming in, okay. Mm. And in the morning, I have a regimen where I listen to um, deep wisdom so it can set the tone of my conscience, my vibe, and mm-hmm. the way I bring myself into the world. And then I became a pure vegetarian, mm-hmm. no garlic, no onions, no fish, no chicken, no eggs. Now, I'm half Jamaican. You mm, know, jerk chicken rough. and jerk that... pork is huge. So that all left just out of the whim of an experience that I had with God and the love that I received from God's light touching my conscience and waking me up totally deleted everything that I thought is what I needed at that time in my life. And, you know, I when people start to transition and change into better people and becoming the best they can possibly be. A lot of times the people around us start to change. Did you notice the shift in who you started to surround yourself with? Well, you know, I ended up moving in an ashram about a month later. And okay. so all around me were different people. Okay. You know? Okay. And I just keep myself quiet because I was like, <laughs> what am I doing here? Oh my God, what was that? But where am I? (laughs) But um, in terms of my friends, they used to say, Jen, we always knew that there was something more about you. So I didn't know that, but, um, you know, they saw things. And yes, I think our energetic attraction shifts when we are changing, our company changes. You know, it's just natural. Yeah, your energy, the energy that you surround yourself has to yeah. change if you're if you're projecting this type of energy. And sometimes, you know, there is a you know, a consequence to this because sometimes if you're you're emitting so much light and peace and joy, some of the more dysfunctional things are attracted to you and you have to be careful how you negotiate, you know, through that as well. So, I mean, I think it's well a flip put. side to that. Yeah. Yeah, that's well put. I think for me, I was uh, I was ushered into such a safe and beautiful environment, um, I didn't worry about what was around me. However, I had come from such such an interesting environment of the world. I had experience. So I knew the contrast of the two vibrations and what they would offer my life. And I knew that being in an atmosphere which I karmically created mm-hmm. because of vibrations of purity and peace and service to humanity, this was a good call. And I don't know how long it was going to last or how long it will last, but it's working so far up until today. Okay, okay. And you're starting to touch on um, the next thing I want to bring up, um, you know, the, the fact that you do touch people's lives in so many ways. And I'm hoping that I get, you know, in this hour that I get a way to, you know, touch on all of it. Uh, but I want to first talk about the Meditation Museum. And you are the founder and director there, correct? Correct. My great-great-grandfather, Brahma Baba, had a vision, you know, many years ago. He used to say, you kids should open up museums in every major city. 
And ever since I came to D.C., I just kept, kept feeling this would be a perfect place. So mm-hmm. a few friends of mine, I just asked them, do you think it's a good idea? And they said, if you can do it, Sister Jen, it'll work. And it has. <laughs> and then a little space. How long has it uh, been open? It's been open now going on a little bit over five years. Okay, okay. And yeah, yeah, it's just, it's it's a story, it's a story. Okay, and let me ask this. Um, when a person walks through the doors of the Meditation Museum, um, what will they find? What what experience will they have? Well, from the moment that they enter the door, they're going to enter into a space of silence and peace. So they're going to start to listen to their own thoughts that they're not used to listening to when they're in the world of noise. There's a variety of artifacts and paintings and sculptures that are basically taking us on a journey throughout time as to where we've come from, who we are, and why we're here. Then individuals get a chance to just sit in the quiet room. So we are basically offering a space that initiates our own level of thinking at a higher level. Okay. Okay. Well, we're going to uh, continue on learning how to think at a higher level, but we're going to take our first commercial break right now. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. Hello, hello, and welcome back. Today I am with Sister Jenna. She is the founder and director of the Meditation Museum. And the bad thing about having to go to commercial breaks is we we break the the peaceful journey that we were sharing at the moment. And uh, I kind of <laughs> kind of felt that interruption there. Um, but before the break, we were talking about uh, the Meditation Museum and and the experience that um, people will have when they come come into the museum and you said it's been open for about five years uh was it easy operation to open um or yeah yeah. you know what i think when when intention Mm -hmm. and time and relationships are all on the same track there is no effort and so um the museum has been no effort for any of us that's been involved. So I think if I got a bigger building, it would be effort. <laughs> <laughs> for now, it's just, um, it's, it's joy. It's, um, it's humbling. Okay. And that is yeah. the message. When things are meant to be, that everything will fall into place smoothly. Right, right. Okay. Now, just for the person that might be listening who has no clue or has a Hollywood perception of what it is, explain to us. Um, what exactly is meditation? It's to listen to the purest part of your story okay. and to find the inner courage to start to delete the stories that weren't so pure or positive. One of the reasons why we feel so disconnected or lost or peaceless is that there's something going on that we've done to ourselves or experienced from someone in the past and we're so attached or so connected to it, consciously or unconsciously, the fact that I'm not happy means I'm holding on to something that has given me sorrow in the past. And there's something that we are defining our worth based on that experience or that event. Mm-hmm. So when we're meditating, 
it all starts to come up. It's like the water that starts to settle. And if there's oh. debris at the bottom, it comes to the surface. Okay. okay. So once it comes, I can identify it and say, that's not the way God made me. And mm-hmm. you start to clear that out. Okay. But there are people walking around in this world today who don't meditate. Um, and I, I would assume that they are thinking that nothing is wrong with them. You know, they're okay. Everything is going fine. You know, uh, my kids are growing up healthy. I have a good job. I, you know, but how do you um, explain to this person there's a quality or an element of life that they have not obtained because they don't take the time to do this personal reflection? Mm. It'll happen through you. It'll happen through the way that you move. Mm-hmm. It'll happen through the example that they see in you. Sometimes I'm not ready to hear the truth because truth means I'm going to have to make effort. Mm-hmm. Truth means I'm going to have to step up to my game in matching the way God made me, right? Okay. okay. So either if I see that in a human example, it can be inspiring. If I hear it in a moment where my ego is not all uprooted, you know, like all up in my face, mm-hmm. I will hear it because I'll hear it with love. And so when um, I've been around a lot of folks who don't hear me or don't listen and don't see it, but I know that it's their story. And if my energy was vibrating at uh, a, a million levels of divinity and light, they could not help but change themselves. So. Mm-hmm. It, it it even lets me challenge myself and say, Jan, then can you raise your light a little more? Can you love him a little more so his mm. light can shine through you a little more? So when my relationships are not working or my finances are not working or my health is not working or my mind is not being positive, I need to think of that supreme energy more because I'm made in a, such a beautiful way. I've just forgotten it. So it starts with you, and it'll start with me. And I think it's just our attachment to folks that makes it difficult. We feel like the change should be instant. Okay. Okay. If you just listen to me, you know, I'm a mother, you know, and I have a child, and she's finding her way. So a lot of times Mm -hmm. we have these conversations. If you just listen to me, I know I've been there before, and why aren't you listening to me? But her journey is her own journey. And, you know, sometimes it's hard for me as a parent to step back and be uh, be the light that I am so she can probably see more so than have to listen to my fussing, which probably shuts down any growth she could possibly, um, you know, have. I like you, you kind of mentioned sometimes, you know, we have to just just try to be the best that we are so other people can see it and, and they will grow from the interaction with us, you know, um, but but that's a hard place to get to. It is, but you know what? Um, the fact that you know that you wish your best for your daughter, that's a given. Mm-hmm. The fact that you know your attachment is shading the mm-hmm. languaging for her to be able to communicate that mom loves me, then you know that there's some letting go there that's required. Okay. So um, love is being non-attached. Mm-hmm. Attachment isn't love. Okay. Th- what I've learned is that we're mixing it. We mix mm-hmm. it. We mix it. We mix it. Okay. So love is there. Love is there. But it gets mixed. Mm-hmm. It gets mixed. And so 
what used to be a beautiful marriage, what used to be a beautiful relationship between a mother and a daughter, what used to be a beautiful relationship between a brother and a sister, has changed only mm-hmm. because of attachment, not because of love. And that's a tricky thing to separate. I think we are, are groomed to believe that any kind of relationship requires attachment, be it, you know, siblings, parents, you know, husband and wife. That word attachment is so present in our thinking. Um, but you're saying that's not, that that's not a part of the health of the relationship? No, no. And I think we're all actually learning that as we move along because if you really look back at your story, you look back at your narrative, Mm-hmm. Most of your conflicts, either with yourself or with someone that you care for, is because you felt either you weren't heard, you weren't seen, you weren't acknowledged. You felt that somebody didn't care for you because you were expecting them to. You were okay. attaching something that you held about yourself in your interpretation of that relationship. You were ex- you were like letting that out in that relationship on the person, but in reality, it was something that we are holding on the inside. So this energy of attachment, um, it's slow, creeping. And mm-hmm. It kind of started the moment you heard you were pregnant, or it's like, mm-hmm. okay, and then three months later, oh my God, I can feel, and then five months mm-hmm. later, like, oh, and you're, the bond, it's very gradual. So then mm-hmm. when it gets kind of natural to be attached, when a situation comes and it's not the way that it's supposed to be for you and you watch your reaction, you know you're attached. I see. Okay. Yeah. That's understandable. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Truly understandable. And what I've been working on for the last month and a half is releasing my interpretation because I know I have mixed my love with attachment. And so whenever I go through any sort of a discomfort within and I don't feel godly or divine, I know my mm-hmm. attachment is at work, and my attachment is interpreting this relationship in a way that I might want to take more from the relationship that I'm actually giving. Okay. Okay. Now, you mentioned um, one of the sensations that a person will feel is, is they don't feel godly or they don't feel divine. Some of us, you know, we're all a work in process, mm-hmm. but how do you... What is the sensation that a person might feel or what clues or indicators will they have within themselves to say, you know, I'm kind of out of vibration with my feeling of being connected to God or divine? Mm. They just feel nasty. Um, <laughs> out okay. Of okay. Um, they, they, they pretend a lot. There's mm-hmm. a lot of anxiety. There is a need to put on the masks. There is a sense of I'm trying to prove something to others. You know, that's all the disconnection from the divine because there's a story about a prince. You know, he was born a prince and mm-hmm. um, he went out to see how the rest of the folks were living. And regardless of wherever he went, people treated him like a prince because the energy was in him. Mm-hmm. It was just in him. Another story was about a king, had two daughters. He went to one and he said, Whose fortune are you living from? The daughter said, Yours, Father. He -hmm. went to the other daughter and said, Whose fortune are you living from? She said, My own. (laughs) He banned her from the kingdom, and he told her, Get out. 
Mm. Ten years later, that daughter ended up with a larger kingdom, and he was begging for money. Oh. He went to her, and he said, you're right. You have come with your own fortune. It had nothing to do with me. And I think when we understand that we all come here with our own blessings mm. and that we change those blessings by bringing that algae into the story, then we feel that we're separated from God and we want to bring back that relationship because it's my birthright to be blessed. Okay, okay. So once again, uh, the, the acronym of algae becomes very important in our, our everyday. We have to be constantly conscious of, you know, uh, that acronym of algae. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Okay. The type of uh, meditation that you teach, it's called ra- Raja. Yeah. Raja Yoga. Raja means um, the king, the royal one, and yoga means union. But when you're having union with your most elevated state of worth, you become a sovereign. So it becomes the highest form of yoga that is taught um, out there today. And we offer it free of charge at all of our meditation centers across the country and across the world. Okay. And you said all of your meditations uh, centers across the country and the world. Um, in the United States, do you have the numbers, like how many are out yeah. there that people can connect with? Sure. I mean, like there is a, a website which is called brahmakumaris.org, and it's basically B-R-A-H-M-A-K-U-M-A-R-I-S.org. And there are just centers everywhere, and all the classes are free. You see, you can't charge a single soul for spirituality. It's not yours. Mm-hmm. You don't own it. Mm-hmm. But you can maybe ask people for money to pay your bills because you're creating a space for people to come into. That's a different topic. Mm-hmm. But spirituality uh, can never be bought or sold. Okay. That's a very, um, and let me see if I can be politically correct as possible, that's a very pleasing uh, financial dynamic compared to some other, and, and this is spirituality, but some religious things that are out there and what they charge people to participate in just simply becoming a better person or, or, or gaining some sort of peace or self-awareness or, or, I mean, it's very refreshing. And like you said, it should be free to make people um, emotionally whole. Um, I think it benefits the whole of society um, to allow people access to uh, things that give them inner peace, so to, so to speak. So I think that's a wonderful, wonderful, beautiful thing there. You know, um, when I look at the path of religion, I look at the fact that there'd come a time where we just needed a guide. And the guide was gaining experiences. And those experiences were touching lives. Um, and as time moved on and geography moved on, the story started to change. And I think many people, <clears throat> sorry, on the path of religion start off with good intentions. And I think there comes a point where you've got to keep self-searching and checking yourself and, and really asking if the base of your power really is your love for God or not. Mm-hmm. And you need to be honest with your congregation and let them know that too. And I think that if your congregation is truthful and you've been truthful, you might not mm-hmm. might not keep the twenty or thirty thousand, but you might keep ten or fifteen, and they're noble and they're good to the cause. 
True. You know, so I think it's really important to keep that um, awareness about going in. And if somebody tells me God says you got to give money, I don't believe that. True. I that believe doesn't... that whatever charity I give, it is my karmic return of my future existence that fortune will always follow me wherever I go. That's what I want to hear. Good points, good points. Sister Jenner, we are going to break the peace and the flow of this conversation and take a quick commercial break. We'll be right back. Let's return to Don't Box Me In with your host, Lana Reed. Hello and welcome back. I am with Sister Jenna today. She's the founder and director of the Meditation Museum and uh, she's an expert in the areas of fostering respect amongst religions, cultures and nations. And before the break, uh, we were talking about the Meditation Museum and, uh, you know, getting some harmony, uh, actually started to talk about, uh, the difference between religions and and things like that. Um, but I want to ask you, because uh, I'm trying to cover everything here. I want to ask you. Uh, <laughs> now, now, don't stress yourself in and get all boxed in now. I know, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> but um, in today's work, because I just want to make sure that everybody can get possibly something from you today, because I just think you have so much um, that people need to to be and, and, and aspire to be. So uh, in today's world, and this is one of my pet pet peeves in today's world we're so connected to stuff that weighs us down um you know we've got our cell phones we're watching the tv we've got social media you know everybody's busy running running here and there uh but what you try to get people to do um with meditation and taking a daily moment you know just to reconnect with ourselves are there consequences if people do not take this daily moment to pause of course, our world would not be able to sustain itself. Mm-hmm. So, the one, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. So, what types of um, hindrances would an individual start to see or feel within themselves if they don't, you know, just take that that moment uh, of personal yeah. reflection? Well, you know, your tolerance level reduces when you don't have enough energy in you, and when you're not taking care of yourself you'll feel that you're weak. And when you're weak means all the algae that is surrounding the world is going to be your best friend and your companion and your shadow. Mm-hmm. But don't forget, God made you perfect. Mm-hmm. So if that energy of perfection and beauty is not being used, shared, offered a chance to shine, then algae is going to be all over you. And that's mm-hmm. not going to make you feel that that's the purpose for you to be here. Mm-hmm. So if we don't reflect and if we don't meditate and if we don't simply pause and integrate this ability to be mindful of who we are and to be interested in our own story, there's a beautiful Hindi word. It's called swaman and the other one is called swabhav. Mm-hmm. Swabhav means um, deep feelings of the self because of your swaman, the mm-hmm. respect that you hold for yourself. Okay. So when an, when an individual is invested in the quality of their own existence, which is 
a mind that's very charitable. If your mind has in its root a practice of having good wishes and pure feelings for people, Mm -hmm. automatically your behavior will be one of generosity, respect, kindness, and Mm -hmm. love. Because it's at the root of your existence. That's who you are at the core. When you get past all that algae stuff, that's where you're coming from. So when we're not generous and we're very self-serving and we're very into just serving you, you don't feel even served when you're done. Hmm. Now, Sister Janet, you have traveled all over this world helping people um, achieve peace in their life. But, you know, let's be honest. The world is kind of filled with chaos and an overall lack of peace. Um, why, why are we as a whole suffering? I mean, because it seems so much more optimistic or you would desire to have that sense of inner peace. So why are we fighting it so at, on a large level? Yeah, entropy. Just like how spring changes into summer, summer changes into fall and fall changes into winter, our inner being, the soul's consciousness and the soul's energy, goes through a change. It's only because we don't know that that we tend to hold on to a lot of issues of the past. We're changing, and we're now in the stage of what they call in Hindi, Kaliyug. It's the Mm -hmm. stage in which the workings of my inner awareness are so stoned. Stoned means like it's very stubborn, Mm -hmm. flexible, we're not moist, we're not gentle, we don't glide anymore. Right. So that algae is so a part of my thinking and being that I'm just in that very harsh state. So that means I'm not accepting that the law of life means change. Okay. And yesterday I had a very interesting experience, Lana. I was at the museum and my heart was somewhere else. Mm. And I gave a message to a friend of mine, I says, I got it. When someone's heart is somewhere else, no matter how beautiful the environment or the situation might be around you, it's not important. It's where your heart is that is important. Sure. And, you know, and at that moment I realized, is my heart with God or is my heart with an illusion? Huh. Yeah, so, you know, if my heart can be with God, then it doesn't matter where I'm at. You know, my my whole world on the inside, my mind, can be connected to the source, and I'm going to be taken care of. I think our greatest pain right now in the 21st century is that we don't feel God's love, but we want to. Okay. And we say we do, but our actions say something else. So, go ahead. Yeah, I mean... And I, this kind of is touching back on the subject that we uh, were leading into before the break. Um, you know, at, at the, the core of everything is this this feeling of God's love. Now, what happens as spokes out of that? You know, you get all these different religions that are created. You know, you have your Catholics and, you know, maybe your Buddhists. And even, you know, on some scale, you have your atheists. Um, how do you how do you negotiate uh, a world of of peacefulness and and understanding and respect, uh, you know, and everybody not being so stubborn. When we have yeah. all of these variances of 
religions and everybody wants to hold their picket sign and say, no, I'm right. And this person across the street wants to hold their picket sign. No, I'm right. How do we, how do we, how do we get in this place where everybody's happy? Well, last time I checked, God never told me he was a Hindu, a Jew, a Christian, or a Muslim. Never. Mm -hmm. In no scripture is it ever written that God said, I am a Hindu or a Christian. Okay. So the titles of our religious choices are, for me, on two parts, karmic and because they're geography. And so wherever you're traveling and your languaging and your influence, you define God because maybe there's some recording in your soul that that energy did something for you. Like, let's say if I go to God and go, oh, God, please open my husband's intellect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> then in Indian culture, they have a deity which is called Ganesh. And Ganesh is, if you keep playing to this, praying to this God called Ganesh, your intellect becomes very wise. So they go to that deity as God of the wise. So I believe that we coin God different names because of something that we experienced that we received from the energy when we called out to him. But in reality, the energy of God is love and purity and peace, which are very abstract, Mm -hmm. which is what makes God so hard to decode. Mm -hmm. So we put all these names and we put all these these rituals and we... We put dogmas on him so we can somehow conceptualize this abstract energy because we're so disconnected from knowing ourselves that we are soul. So when we are actually soul conscious, we can then connect to God who is the supreme soul. And so when we start to experience those vibrations from God, it gets revealed in our behavior and the way that we live life on earth. And I think that's the message of meditation and spirituality if those who are teaching it can be very clear that that's actually what they're attaining when they walk that path of introspection. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I'm, I'm understanding, or at least I think I'm understanding, but quickly for the audience, if you can, explain what is the difference between religion versus spirituality? Mm. I think that religion is a story. And it's somebody else's story. And upon listening to the story, I am inspired and I might be motivated, but it's really not my personal story. And spirituality means to listen to yourself and to take care of yourself where you really become an instrument of positivity, an instrument of conscious shifts and changes. So I think spirituality um, offers you the ability to be a great listener. Mm -hmm. And I think religion is that which um, basically, you know, has you caught up on just somebody else's business. Yeah, (laughs) somebody else's agenda. I mean, and that's, that makes it very understandable um, why the spiritual individual who's very in tune with himself um, has complex issues dealing when the the religious person approaches them because it does seem like somebody's trying to force something down your throat that really just doesn't fit you like a comfortable suit you know and it's it's you know um so that that's truly understandable that uh you know I i think spirituality is a much higher place of evolution than uh religion is 
you know, I'm pretty sure I'm going to offend quite a few people out there, but, you know, it is oh, what no, it is. No, 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 no. <laughs> I think we need to clarify religion is imperative and religion is very important. What I'm actually trying to convey is, please, balance out your religion and listen to what your thoughts in your life is saying. Mm-hmm. We all belong to a tribe, Lana. Mm-hmm. We all belong to a tribe. If your tribe belongs to Jesus or Muhammad or Buddha, tribe on. Okay. There are some of us who belong to an older tribe, like the deity tribe, which were a civilization of individuals that were very elevated and very naturally pure. And their religion was just the virtues and beauty and purity. That's mm-hmm. another tribe, but they're not spoken about a lot, but they do exist. So I, I, I hear you, but religion is a good thing. All okay. I'm saying is bring in the spiritual component and listen at a deeper level to such an extent that maybe you're able to capture what your prophet experienced. And then it won't be such a contrasting story when you go to church or you go to your synagogue on the weekends. Understood. And I think maybe that's the problem that I have, that sometimes, um, depending on what type of individual it is, when it comes to religion, they don't open themselves up to being um, in tune with um, other religions or, or, you know, or spirituality or whatever. It just seems like I very dogmatic about it. I have to force who I am and what I believe amongst the world and my way is right and nothing else. And I think maybe there should be a balance that's found. And I think maybe you're saying if you bring more spirituality into it, maybe we could um, seek some sort of balance, maybe if that's what I'm hearing. No, abs- I mean, definitely. I think that um, we just need understanding. I think when we foster an atmosphere where we can share our journeys and our truth, we perhaps receive an opportunity to learn more about who we really are at the core level. That might mean change. Mm-hmm. It might mean more of a confirmation that you're on the right path. I'm, I'm in a television production called Soul Search, and this television production travels around the country, and it visits a variety of spiritual groups in the country. <clears throat> and um, I met a, a lot of people doing a lot of things, And I just had to stay quiet. But what it did for me, it confirmed that my path of peace and purity is for me. It's for me. And it's working for me. I don't think that I could do what they were doing. It just worked for me, you know. So I think that when we actually get to see and hear the life experiences of others completely, it lends us an opportunity to respect another person's choice of their tribe. I think it's a lack of understanding what a tribe offers that makes our fear factors and these things come up because we don't know enough. When you know enough, you won't be afraid. Okay, good stuff. And you know what? Um, We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, I want to talk um, some more about fear factor and some other things you have on the table. But stay tuned. We'll be right back right after this. Welcome back to Don't Box Me In. Here's your host, Lana Reed. 
Hello, hello, and welcome back. I am with Sister Jenna today, and uh, we're receiving some guidance on how to uh, have inner peace and uh, become the best that we can be. And before the break, we were uh, talking about the fear factor. And that's one of the things that you're involved uh, with or you talk about is creating trust in a fear-based in- environment. And I want to share a story. Uh, I have a friend um, and uh, Christian man, goes to church every Sunday, faithfully does miss it, Bible study on Wednesdays. And he's so perplexing to me because um, he's scared to fly. Um, he doesn't, he's scared of height, so he doesn't go into a building over like the fifth floor and me as an outsider looking in, it seems contradictory for you to have, quote unquote, the faith, the religion that you have, but yet you have this fear um, of these certain things in life. And it seems like you don't have the faith in your religion that you do. Um, is that kind of what you talk about when it comes to creating trust in a fear based environment or is that totally off base? No, I mean, we're all at a percentage of our abilities. Mm -hmm. And there are some areas that we just do better than others. And Mm -hmm. for him, his fear quotient gets emerged when he gets on the plane. So if he's listening to himself, he gets a chance to realize that he can deepen his relationship with God. So it's not that he doesn't have one, but Mm -hmm. he's actually learning that his percentage can increase. Um, Back in the days when we thought like 20 minutes of meditation in the morning made us a spiritual guru, or, Mm -hmm. you know, the fact that I, you know, kept my Bible in the car or I went to church Mm -hmm. every Sunday made me a Christian. Mm -hmm. No, it it, it gave you an opportunity to say, I'm showing up, I want to hear, I want to be good. But the real homework comes when you leave that place or when you put the Bible down or... You know, when you stop hearing somebody telling you that by the way your life unfolds, how you show up to it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I've been, back in the days when I wanted to be the perfect, you know, spiritual person on the on the stage or <laughs> on, on the pulpit. And I thought that was important. It fed mm-hmm. me. But after five years, I said, but this is not my truth. And it's not truthful to the people that are looking at me as if I was perfect. Mm-hmm. So, when I had realized that my inner world wasn't matching what I was projecting, it was at that moment, Lena, I felt I was perfect. Okay, okay. You know, yeah. and it's a percentage game. No one has arrived yet. However, we are all trying to arrive to a destination. And the destination to me is not a place, but it's a state of awareness where I just can't be rocked from my divinity. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. if I'm still shaking in my divinity, it means God's still got some work to do. Okay. Okay. He's not done with me yet. Mm, girl, you know that's right. <laughs> me in business. <laughs> He's not done with me yet. We're keeping him in business, I tell you. <laughs> so, uh, Sister Jen, you frequently uh, write for the Huffington Post. So I was, you know, on the web, uh, the Internet, scoping out things. And I found an article that you had uh, wrote called the uh, 14 Self-Realizations. And uh-huh. all of them are all of them are important. But one of them personally that struck a chord for me uh, was... Uh, hurts from the past tend to hide themselves in unique 
and respectable places within the soul. Fear walks along the side of hurt with empathy and wisdom. Listen to your allies who are not afraid to tell you where your healing can begin. And I think that is that's that's so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, how. How is it that people don't understand that they're carrying hurts from the past? I mean, it, it seems like it would just be so much easier to do the personal homework and say, you know what, you know, two years ago I had this fight with Sister Jenna and, you know, that's the reason why I don't go wherever she's going and how it's affected my life. But a lot of times people just don't do that. They want to hold on to that. And it just seems so much heavier to carry that than to realize yes i'm hurt let me put it in its proper place and move on i know aren't we a mess (laughs) (laughs) how do you how do you start to heal from all of that um i can i can share with you experiences when i've healed okay they came in two parts either love was overwhelming for me Mm -hmm. or i experienced a moment of tragedy okay and um, I think for many folks, it might be the same. If you fall in love with someone, it's almost like you can just let go of the old relationship. Mm-hmm. Or if something dramatic happened to you, it's like nothing means anything at that moment other than to be of support or help. That's like a very basic um, process that I know I've been through. I fell in love with God, and a lot of my pain went away. Um, in terms of when we're just hurting and we're not listening, mm-hmm. then we just might need some more time to go through that process until something triggers inside of us and we say that's enough. Mm-hmm. Everyone's got their enough moment and it can come in a marriage, it can come in the way you spend your money, it can come in the way you take care of your body, it can come in the way you handle your thinking. But everyone's got a limit even to their own algae. Mm. And they say that that's just enough. And, you know, I guess maybe some of the frustration for me is my personal enough might not be the next person's enough. So you, you walk through this life and say, you know, my goodness, why don't you just get it? And, you know, there's so much more beautiful things out there for you to see and experience if you just let go of this. And there might be somebody behind me saying, you know, Lana, you know, your world might be so much beautiful or or, or wonderful if you just let go of this. So everybody has their own enough moment. And the beautiful thing is when we reach that enough moment, it could be just our state of emergency. And it's at that moment that you just breathe and pause and ask yourself what virtue is needed, God, really. (laughs) what virtue is needed at this time for me. And the first person who gets served is you. Mm -hmm. And the second person is the other person or situation. So when you start to serve yourself more, um, the other person becomes less of an issue for you. But what happens, and it happens to all of us, is that we are mirrors for each other. There was a story of um, Deepak Chopra was um, giving a talk Mm -hmm. at an event, and um, there was a woman in the audience just criticizing everything that man Mm. said. (laughs) So at the end of the program, he basically asked her, could I talk to you? Mm -hmm. So 
he asked her, tell me what are the things that are annoying you? And she basically gave him a list. Mm. And that night he went home and he asked his wife, I met this woman and she outlined all these things that she thought was bad about me. Is it true? Mm-hmm. His wife said, yep, always. <laughs> and it was interesting because what was happening was she was getting a reflection of herself in him. Uh, and he perhaps might have picked up one or two things in her. So I'm very careful about when I actually, you know, criticize or tell someone something. I really think deeply first that I know it's got to be me. Because why see. am I seeing that in that person? It's me. Yeah, I think there's a the famous uh, popular quote that the things that irritate you about an individual are most likely qualities within yourself that you're seeing. Right. It's like a it's a mirror thing. Um, right. Sister Jenna, uh, unfortunately, we are at the end of the hour, and I had so much more I wanted to talk to you about. This is always so frustrating for me. Um, my guest today has been Sister Jenna. Please, please, please visit her website, meditationmuseum.org. Sister Jenna, can you tell them quickly um, phone number or address of where the museum is at? Um, well, definitely. Just go to meditationmuseum.org, and perhaps one of my biggest things I'd love for you to share with your audience is the release of one of my CDs with a track on it called Letting Go. So okay. If they just Google Sister Jenna Off to Work CD, it'll come up. But that track, Lana, when you hear it, um, life is going to feel different. Your interpretation to showing up for yourself and your relationship with God will change. All righty, everybody, there it is. Google Sister Jenna and uh, get the Off to Work CD. And Sister Jenna, I appreciate you so much for making time for me today. It has truly been a learning experience. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you so much and keep up the good work. Thank you. That is all for this week. I will see everybody next week.